Church, it's great to be here with you guys today. Um, <clears throat> as, as I told the first service, has been my wife and I have been gone the last two weeks, and uh, it, it's just not the same to be gone um, and not be here celebrating and learning with you guys and being a part of, of these services and fellowshipping with you. It really isn't. I mean, even if, if you're out and you're listening to music or you're reading on your own or you're fi- trying to find sermons to listen to, it's just not the same. So it's really good to be back here with you guys and, and, uh, and getting ready to close this series, uh, Get What You Desire, today, this Sunday. So we just, uh, it's, it's been a great, great morning. Um, during the, the last couple of, well, for these two services, being over here during worship, it's just been um, amazing. I've, I've really been enjoying it. And so I, you know, just wanted to let you guys know that it's, it's good to be back and to be here with you guys. And, um, and today, if you notice, I got my shirt tucked in, right? There's a reason for that. I feel a little lighter. So I'm tucking in my shirt. You see, before we went on vacation, I had a plan to lose 30 pounds in like seven months. I got to a week before, and I hadn't lost the 30 pounds. So I started starving myself that week in order to lose those 30 pounds. I called those going on a vacation with us, and I said, I have a dilemma. They said, what's that? I said, I purchased all of my clothes for the vacation, size medium, and I'm still an extra large. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to look like a pack of sausage out there. I was just not going to be looking well. Um, But no, no, no. I'm kidding. I do feel lighter. That's why, see, before, I wouldn't tuck in my shirt because I felt like if I stand up here with my shirt tucked in, you would get to see all of my glory. <laughs> and so today I think, I think there's a little bit less of that, so I tucked in my shirt. No, it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. And today, as I said, we're, we're going to be finishing up our series, Get What You Desire. And uh, today we're going to be focusing on our desire for true success and how hopefully we're not giving in to our own, um, our own wants and our own needs in order to try to attain that. So... For, during this series, what we've done is we've, we've, gave, we've given you some definitions, and th- those definitions that we've given you has been of a want, a need, and a desire. So if you remember, a want is a shallow expression of what we truly desire. A want is a, a broken expression of what we truly desire. A need is the most basic and minimal supply of what is necessary, right? The most basic. A desire seeks what is truly valuable. So um, thinking about success, they say, you know, well, all of us, we want to win. Okay, we just want to win. Whatever we have to do in life, we want to win. However we can, we're going to trample on anyone. We're going to do whatever we can in order to win. Um, A need, a basic need of that is what we see in today's culture is just the participation trophy, right? I just want to receive a trophy that says, hey, I participated. did an okay job. And the... But the true desire is that we want to be a part or we want to experience success, uh, true success in this life. And so what happens with that is with true success or with success, what happens a lot in our culture is we begin to define ourselves through that, right? We begin to define ourselves through that. So we gain identity through our success. We gain self-worth through success. We gain security from success. And this leads us to live life as though our own wisdom, strength, and performance is where, is, um, where we are to gain security and value. And we know that that's not true. We, at least I hope we know that that's not true. So today, what I hope to do is I hope to answer uh, three things that, that can help us find true success. Um, and those three things is that we have the right source. So we have the source, the foundation, and the outcome. The source, the foundation, and the outcome. 
Everyone has a desire and a want and a drive to succeed. And succeeding is not wrong in and of itself. It's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with wanting to succeed. Um, but we'll find out that when we have the correct source, the correct foundation, um, we will also receive the right outcome, and that will garner true success in our lives. Um, in, our, in our culture, what we actually do is we do idolize success. We do. Again, we think that through success we can gain our identity, we can gain our security, um, that we can uh, pretty much define who we are and hope that our successes will define who we are to everyone else. And so we idolize this. We idolize successful people in our culture, don't we? We look at, at CEOs of great corporations and businesses, and what do we do? We, we want to pick up every book they write. We want to be able to quote every quote they've said. Uh, we want to eat the same breakfast. We want our Wheaties, right? We want, to, we want to try to learn the way they learn. We want to try to do everything the way they do it. Why? Because we idolize their success. We want their life. We want to win the way they've won. In sports, we do that with athletes all the time. My generation growing up, the athletes that you would, that, that you would idolize was Michael Jordan. You idolize, well, everyone except, every sport but baseball, because in baseball we knew what was going on, so we stayed away from idolizing those guys. But we idolized Michael Jordan. We idolized uh, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith. We, 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 we wanted to be like those guys. And I remember growing up, I, I, one, of, one of my dreams was to be a professional athlete. I, there's two problems with that, though. One, I stopped growing, right? And two, God did not gift me with a lot of athletic ability. I'm slow and I can't jump, which really doesn't help with, any, with many of the sports that I wanted to play when I was young. I didn't discover golf until I was a young adult, but I'm still horrible at that. So God really didn't gift me a lot of athletic ability. So what I tried to do is I said, you know what, if I can get a pair of Jordans, I can jump high. It's not true. Don't listen to the ads. I don't care what the little picture on the shoe says. You're not going to fly through the air. Okay, it's just not going to happen. Uh, another pair of shoes that I wanted to get was Bo Jackson's. Bo, if you know, Bo Jackson was 250 pounds, but he ran a 419 in the combine. I mean, that's just insane. He was fast. He was fast. Amazingly, just a freak of an athlete. Right? So I wanted his shoes. If I could get his shoes, I can beat him running. Got the shoes, put them on. I didn't beat him running. Right? I still lost. I was still slow. It didn't happen, but that happens because we idolize success. We do. And we see these people, we see celebrities, and we see successful people, and we want to try to attain what they have. But I'm here to tell you that true success isn't found in what they have or what they've attained. True success is found elsewhere. As a matter of fact, um, I'm going to read you a quote from Madonna. Madonna, most of y'all know who she is. Just... Um, famous singer, very popular, very successful in her art and what she did. But this is how she describes the seduction of success uh, in her life. She says, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, and then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me and pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Think about that quote. 
We strive for things of this world and we try to succeed in this world uh, driven by the wrong motivation, with the wrong foundation, and the rewards that we reap from succeeding in this world only last for a small period of time. And it causes people like her and others and ourselves to make this a never-ending story. We're a hamster in a hamster wheel and we're just spinning and spinning along because we're trying to do this the wrong way. So remember what we're answering are three things, the source, the foundation, and the outcome. Source, foundation, and the outcome. And my question is to you is, thinking about that quote and thinking about what we're talking about success, do you have that same idea? Do you live life with that same concept of wanting to succeed and going at it at all cost? Or what's happened in your life when your plans have fallen through and you didn't succeed? Or all that you've worked so hard to try to attain one day just fell apart? Was your world turned upside down? Was your life still worth living? Did you have questions about that? Did you alienate the people around you or have you alienated those around you because you're just driven by your drive to succeed? You see, again, true success is found elsewhere and it's not found from selfish ambition. True success, and this is my first point, my true success will result from a righteous ambition. Will result from a righteous ambition. So as you're thinking about success, you have to think about what is the motivation? What is that, that, what is that source that causes me to want to succeed? And it's ambition. It's ambition. And so for the purpose of, of this sermon, we're going to use this definition of ambition. Um, it is this. Is ambition is a powerful personal drive towards achieving goals which are regarded as being of importance to the individual. A powerful personal drive towards achieving goals which are regarded as being of importance to the individual. So if I'm saying that our first point is my true success will result from a righteous ambition, the one thing it doesn't come from is a selfish ambition. And scripture warns us against that. As a matter of fact, here in James chapter 3, verse 14 through, six, uh, through 16, this is what James is going to say. He says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. We have to know that when we are working from selfish ambition, this is not something that we can call wisdom from God. As a matter of fact, James goes to the extent of saying it's demonic. It's demonic. It's wrong. This isn't true wisdom. A selfish ambition is trying to attain what I want, not worrying and caring about anyone else. Again, a little while ago, I mentioned it's not wrong to want to succeed, but when you have the right drive, which is righteous ambition, a righteous ambition, then we can find true success. But you're never going to find that if we're longing for my personal gain, my personal wants, and I'm working out of selfish ambition. He says there, from where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Think about that statement. Selfish ambition grows from, I want what he has. I want what they have. I want to experience what they've experienced. 
And so we begin to live our lives driven by this, this false motivation and this broken motivation because what this really is is a revelation of our broken nature and our sinfulness is that we want to succeed, but instead of seeking a righteous ambition, we begin to seek a selfish ambition, which Scripture clearly warns us about. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Wow, that's all of us. We were all that. But church, what happens is that when we are functioning in the selfish ambition that we see here in James chapter, chapter 3, we begin to work in the desires of the body and the mind and of the lust of the flesh again. We begin to work as though we were sons of disobedience, and God is calling us to be sons of obedience. See, what happens when a, when a person is solely driven by selfish ambition, what, what happens, just the natural outcome of that, is that we become disobedient to the word of God. The will of God, which is his written word, means nothing to us. The only thing we want from it is what we can, are the benefits that it has to offer, but we don't want anything else from it. We don't care to obey. We don't care to listen. We just want the benefits, and we toss everything else out the window. And when we are working in, in true or in righteous ambition, what we do is we obey God. It leads us to want to obey God. It leads us to want to live out his word. It causes us to live this life in a different manner and not in the lust of the flesh, the desires of the mind and of the heart. But it causes us to want to unite our desires with, with that of the will of God. Another thing that happens when, when we are functioning in selfish amb ambition is um, we begin to alienate others. We begin to hurt others. Not only do we alienate those that we love, but we'll hurt anyone. Simply to succeed, we'll hurt anyone. I don't care. I don't care that I'm, I, I, I'm not doing this according to rules and, and to benefit the other person. I'm doing this for my selfish gain, so I'm going to do whatever I have to do to look as though I'm successful, to feel as though I'm successful, to experience a false sense of identity, value, or security. But see, when, when we work according to selfish or to righteous ambition, what, what happens? The Word of God calls us to love others, to look out for others. This was one of Jesus' greatest arguments with the Pharisees. They had an ambition to live out the law, but in, within that ambition, they forgot to love others. And the word of God should compel us to love others as God has loved us. Another side effect of, of living in selfish ambition is we begin to live this life in a very prideful manner. We said earlier that we gain identity from our success, we gain self-worth, we gain security. And all of this we think is because of our wisdom, strength, and performance. And we become very boastful and prideful in the things that we have. And you look over to the other people and they don't have because they didn't work as hard as I did. They don't have because they didn't do what I did. 
And now we think that we're a very special person because we have so much. And we become prideful in that. But again, what happens is that as the, all of that starts tumbling and falling apart, we begin to lose a sense of life and wanting to live in a purpose because all of our pride is wrapped up in what we have or what we've succeeded in. But when, you, when we function in a righteous ambition, what does that do? It calls us to live in humility. It calls us to be humble. It causes us to remember that we're not the source of our victories. We're not the source of what we have and what we've accumulated. God is. That God is the one that's given that to us. That even though I or you have risen to the top in your business and you have worked really hard and done all that you could and you've become successful, it reminds you that the only reason you were able to do that is because you were wired in a way that caused you to work that way. And you were wired by God. You were created by him. And he's the one that placed that inside of you. And you remember that. And you remember that any other person in this world can be better than you and can be greater than you. You're not thinking of yourself more. You're thinking of others more. And you start living in humility. So true success or finding that true motivation for true success is that it, it is, it's in a righteous ambition. And we see that all throughout Scripture. There's nothing wrong with wanting to succeed in life there's nothing wrong with that as long as what is driving us is, is a righteous ambition. And what happens is when we discover that, true success, our true success will withstand the storms of our lives, of my life. True success will withstand the storms in my life. Let me go to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 48. Jesus says this, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not, and could not shake it because it had been built well. It had been built well. And one of the things that stands out to me when I'm reading that passage is, is um, that person building the house didn't cut any corners, did he? He wasn't looking for instant success. He was digging and digging and digging till he got to foundation, and there he established his home. Am I correct? Is that what we see? And in culture today, we are completely, we're overwhelmed with wanting instant success in life, right? We, we, we want to we go viral on YouTube. We want to go viral on Instagram. We want everyone to know us. We want instant fame. We want instant success. We don't want to go step by step by step by step. We always want to know what's the shortcut. How do I get there? Okay, I know that you worked out a lot and I know you worked hard, but how can I get from point A to point C without having to go through, through step B? How do I do that? I know that you went to school for years to become a business exec and you're doing great, but I don't want to have to do that. How, how can I get around that? How can I have instant success? What we want to do is we want to put our lives into a microwave. We want to hit the popcorn button and set it and forget it, right? Y'all have heard those infomercials, set it and forget it. Every time they say that, we go crazy and we buy that product. Why? Because we don't, want to, we don't want to go through the work. We don't want to put it in. And this person didn't do that. He kept digging, digging, digging until he got down to bedrock. And sometimes it takes a long time to get to bedrock. It's not instantly. You got to dig. 
you got to dig. And I got to believe that this person back in those days, I mean, they didn't have the machinery that they use nowadays to just go down and drill, 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 drill. I mean, they had to dig. But he didn't cut any corners. And he built his house on the correct foundation. Obviously, Christ is talking about him being that foundation. Church, this is the most important part of it. Again, one of the things that we try to seek and try to find through our success is identity. But when our identity is set in Christ and our foundation is set in him, then no matter how many times I fail, no matter how many times my plans fall through, no matter how many times the market takes a turn on me, my life won't be affected. It won't be driven by those failures. And I won't be swept away. And my faith will remain and my hope will remain and it'll remain because my identity is not and my foundation is not found in some false success, but it's found in the true success of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who, as we sang a little while ago, is the undefeated one. He's never lost. When we cling to him, he's already won. When we have him as our foundation, as our identity, we won't be lost. We won't lose ourselves because of the storms. We won't be hurt or swept away because of the floods, but we will remain and we will remain because he remains, because he is forever, because he is eternal, because the gift that he gave through his work on the cross is eternal, because the hope is eternal. It doesn't get swept away by anything in this world. It's far more significant than what we can attain in this world. When he is our foundation. When he is the true foundation for our success. So again, the one thing he didn't do is he didn't cut any corners, but most importantly, he found his foundation. His foundation is Christ Jesus. That should be mine and that should be yours. The third thing we see in the last point for today is that true success will result in my eternal satisfaction. True success will result in my eternal satisfaction. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 says this. He says, Do you not know that, a race, um, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul understood the concept that he was to receive an eternal reward. He was to receive something that it was imperishable, not perishable. Paul understood this, and so he lived this life, and every move that he made during his ministry was a calculated move for the gospel. It was a calculated move to succeed, not for himself, but for the gospel of his Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul didn't live this life aimlessly. He had a goal he wanted to get to, and he lived this life, and every single move he made, he did according to that what he wanted to do for the kingdom of God. He had a righteous ambition to preach the gospel. He had a righteous ambition to want to share the truth of Jesus Christ with those who needed it. He had a purpose and he had a goal. And so Paul understood that his reward was eternal. Here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Henceforth, 
And there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Again, Paul knew and he kept his eyes on the fact that he was to receive an eternal reward. He knew that his reward was not of this world. Therefore, he knew that his reward was not going to fall apart. And there was an eternal satisfaction with that. Church, when we're living through selfish ambition and we're trying to succeed through that and we do attain that success, what happens? Does that success last a lifetime? Does it even last a month, a week? Most of the times when someone works really hard, you work tirelessly, all these hours you're putting in, we alienate our families, we don't have time for anyone, we've got to achieve this goal, I want to succeed on this project. You finally get there, you finally have succeeded. The company is, is just elated with your work, your boss is so grateful, and he calls you in on that day and he says, job well done, pat on the back. You go home, you wake up the next day, and what happens? That job well done is gone. And now what do you have to do? You have to find another project another project, and another project, because this world will never satisfy us. This world will never give us a longing satis or, or a lasting satisfaction. There was a, a writer, Cynthia Heimel, from the 70s and 80s. Uh, she lived in New York, and she wrote uh, for, I think it was a magazine, and, and she got to experience life with a lot of celebrities. Not only did she get to experience life with them, uh, when they were celebrities, but she, she got to experience life with them before they were celebrities. So she got to know who they truly were. And in one of her blogs or in one of her posts, one of her writings, she wrote about three celebrities that we all know of. And we all would probably, if I said the names, you'd say, wow, they were great actors, actresses, just great people. But after having known them before they were celebrities and after, here's what she had to say. This is, again, a quote from Cynthia Heimel. She says, I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. You see, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. And the morning after each of them became famous, they all wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing that was going to make everything okay, it was going to make their lives bearable, it was going to provide personal fulfillment and happiness. It actually happened. And the day after they woke up, they were, they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. See, this world can only offer us a momentary satisfaction. Those successes that we strive for out of selfish ambition, all it does is it sends us chasing after the wind. We're never going to catch it. Church, you're never going to get there. You're never going to be happy. It's never going to be enough. You're never going to be fulfilled. But here we have a man sitting in prison with strife, with hurt, with pain. And yet he's talking about this eternal reward that's not perishable, but imperishable. You see, Paul had the right drive. It was the gospel. It was the will of God that he wanted to live out. 
Paul had the right foundation. His identity was simply centered in Christ. How else can a man sitting in a prison cell say, to live is Christ and to die is gain? He had his identity. He had the foundation. And Paul knew that that which was to come was much greater than this world could ever offer. And he was sold on that and he believed it and he lived by it. We've got to stop striving and pushing for things that aren't going to fulfill us. We've got to stop seeking things because we want them and because I'm just being ambitious within myself. We've got to stop thinking that money will do it. We've got to stop thinking that if I can only reach that pinnacle in my career, that will do it. True happiness and self-worth, true happiness and value, true identity is not found in these worldly successes. It's found in a true success that says, God, I am here for you. I am here to serve you. I am here to live for you. My only ambition is to live your word out in this life. Therefore, my ambition is to be a good son to you, a good brother to those in my church and in the family of Christ, to be a good husband and a good father, to be someone who can leave a lasting seed in someone's life, and that seed is the word of your son, Jesus. That's why Paul could write the way he did. Because Paul had his eyes on the prize. He was set to run for that goal. And he knew that that pat on the back that he's going to get on the day that he faces our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he knew that that pat on the back was going to last an eternity and not just a day. He wasn't going to wake up. He's not going to wake up the next morning and try and strive to succeed in something else because he's done and he's finished and he's ran the race and his eternal Savior said, job well done, good and faithful servant. But church, there was a man who even ran that race in a better way. There was a man who completely gave himself up had no selfish ambition in this life ever. Even though he could have had it all and he had it all in the past and eternity, he never thought of himself to be greater than anyone else. And as he said, I came here to serve. I came here to serve. And he lived his life in such a perfect way, in such a marvelous way, that at the end of that life, Instead of getting that crown of glory, instead of getting that crown and that pat on his back that said, job well done, no, he got a crown of thorns. He took what you and I deserved so that you and I could live in a way that we didn't deserve. He wasn't compelled by this world and by the riches of this world. He wasn't compelled by a great feeling of satisfaction in this world because he knew, as we learned three weeks ago, that nothing in this world could compare to the eternal relationship he had already experienced with his Father God. This world didn't compare to any of that. He didn't care to attain things in this world. The only thing he cared to do was to live out the will of his Father 
and to take your pain and mine and to be treated in a way that the worst of sinners should be treated. And his name was Christ Jesus. See, he knew you and I could never live the life needed to experience the eternal relationship with God. So he came to this world to live that life for us. So that through his selfish, I mean selfless motivation and through his self, selfless acts, we can experience eternity with him. That's why a guy like Paul could write those things in, in prison. That's why people like Calvin and Luther and some of the great fathers of the faith, Augustine, could live life willing to give up and willing to strive for the righteous ambition because they knew that their foundation was him and their identity was in him and that to live life was him, was Christ, and to die was gain. Church, can you imagine what that would look like in our lives? What are some things that you're striving for right now that if you really just stopped and asked yourself, why am I doing that? You'd realize it's for me, my personal gain, my personal success. That if right now, if you could correct the source and focus on God, on selfish, I mean, on righteous ambition, if we could focus on righteous ambition and have our identity placed in Christ Jesus, that we wouldn't worry what this world can give us we wouldn't worry about that. We wouldn't strive for that. We would strive to obey God and to live this life the way he has called us to through his will. How that would just change and impact your lives. Your marriage, your kids, even your finances, your job, your career, your health. Do you know the toll that that takes on our lives to want to succeed and succeed and succeed and never get full satisfaction? change our lives when we have him as the source and the identity. And now imagine a church who takes that and says, you know what, we're not here for our numbers. We're not here to try to pack as many people as we can into a room. We're only here to preach the gospel of Christ. We're only here to share the light with those who are in darkness. We're only here to share hope with those that are hopeless. We are here to bring Christ to the lost. Can you imagine the impact we could have in our community when we stop bickering with one another and stop working out of selfish ambition, but we all start working for the same righteous ambition, which is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Can you imagine the impact and the overflow that we will have in our community? It would be great. See, because when someone works from selfish ambition, everything else underneath them fails begins to fail because all we can think about is where we want to go, what we want to do, how we want to do it, how much we want of it. And our relationships begin to falter. Our, our life at home begins to falter. We no longer have time for our family. We don't have time for our kids. We don't have time for relationships. And much more than that, we don't have time for God. So everything else starts falling apart. But when we begin to work in selfish ambition and allow that to drive us and we have our identity set in Christ, guess what begins to happen? 
that righteous ambition begins to spill over in our lives. And now instead of taking away from everything else, it begins to build out on everything else. And now our relationships are stronger, our family is stronger, our marriage is stronger because of that overflow in our lives. So may we be a church that seeks to live out life and success, but through a righteous ambition and identity in Christ Jesus, knowing that the reward that is to come is far greater than this world could ever offer. Let's pray. Father, we, we have to be truthful. And I have to be honest, God, that this is not an easy disposition to have. It's not an easy way to live. And Father, what is easy is to be overwhelmed with the lust of this world, with the desires of our minds, of our flesh. Those things are easy, Father. Lord, I know that you've placed your Holy Spirit inside of us. You've given us your word. And Father, I know that you can strengthen us even in these these problems, even in this brokenness. Father, you can strengthen us to begin to put a righteous ambition in our hearts and to remain centered and grounded in our identity in Christ Jesus as him as as our foundation. So, Father, I just pray that as we live out this life, even tomorrow, that, God, we can wake up and remember these things and live life with you at the center of it. And that we can always be reminded, Father God, that no matter how grand this world might look, that eternity with you is so much better than that. I pray that we could be a light to this community and bring the gospel to those that are in need. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.